This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey guys, uh, very excited. Today we're talking about AI. We're here with Dr. Michael Spiegel, who's been here with us before. He's back again. It's going to be an exciting episode. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. We are talking about the battle of AI, and no, not the one in Joshua. We're talking about another one uh, today in the church, Should Christians participate in the AI space? Is there philosophical ramifications that we're not thinking about? Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, along with that, maybe a little bit of Dr. Spiegel's fiction book kind of talking about AI that we're going to discuss here on the program. So if you're there, you're interested in these subjects, we're going to be covering them today. But before we dive in, I want to remind you that Remnant Radio is entirely crowdfunded. So if you want to support the channel, I'd encourage you to check out the links in the description. The top link is for PayPal. You can give a one-time gift there. If you want to give on Patreon, you can be a monthly supporter as low as five bucks a month and you'll get access to extra content. A uh, little bit of a self-plug here. If you're interested in doing the Gifts of the Spirit course, registration opened Uh, the 22nd. That was just uh, this Saturday. So it is open now. Links in the description for that if you want to go uh, and learn more about spiritual gifts. We have stuff that like that in the course. Without further ado, I want to toss it over to my co-host, Michael Miller. How are you doing? Wow. Michael Miller. Thanks. Thanks for that, Josh Smith. What's your name? What's your name? Michael Roundtree. (laughs) Sorry. The other one. You know, it's got to be hard having two co-hosts with the same name. Like, what do I call them? Oh, yeah. Just Michael. Like, maybe, (laughs) maybe that would work. Anyway, uh, guys, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm wearing my uh, Oklahomies shirt. Can y'all see that? Those of you who are watching on yes. YouTube, it says chilling with my Oklahomies. Well, Josh is an Oklahomie. We're both here. Uh, Dr. Spiegel, uh, we knew each other originally from Texas. Uh, Dr. Spiegel came into the studio when Josh and I had a, a studio in Texas and both lived there. Uh but Dr. Spiegel, it's great to have you back on the show. We always love having you on. Uh, guys, check out our other episodes. If you're into church history, definitely want to check out our episodes with him. Uh, but today we're talking, it's almost like we go from history to futuristic because we're talking AI, uh, artificial intelligence. And I saw some people posting on Facebook about the town uh, AI or I or however you want to pronounce that in the in the Old Testament that was destroyed by fire and trying to make AI references. It was kind of funny. Anyway, uh, Dr. Spiegel. Well, for those who uh, who don't know who you are, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and also uh, also maybe about this book that you've written. I read I read your book. I, I don't even do you say it as the AI theist or the atheist? How how would you pronounce the title of your book? Yeah, I just say AI theist. Um, okay. That was the first That's question somebody asked me on an interview one time, and uh, I fu- actually never even thought about it until I was asked it. So that's how we're going. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Doctor Spiegel, and then we'll we'll jump in and we'll ask you some questions about your book and about sure. just intersections of AI, religion, philosophy, etc. Yeah. So. Mike Spiegel, I'm the chair and professor of theological studies at Dallas Seminary, uh, primarily teaching systematic theology and church history with an emphasis on patristics. And I think in some of our previous episodes, we talked a little bit about patristic theology, which is really my passion. Um, But I do, uh, ever since I was a kid, dabbled in science fiction reading as well as writing. And actually... um, I was doing writing before I even became a Christian in the science fiction area and published some things then in the last few years, a uh, full-length novel, and then uh, this this little thing called The AI Theist, which is a novella. Uh, I did that uh, just in the last few months. Fantastic. Okay. Well, tell me why why an AI book or why, why like you're, 
you've spent all this time in church history and and thinking of the past, right? Like why why work on stuff on the future? Yeah, that's a great question. I like I said, I've always been a sci-fi fan and have have dabbled in writing some of that and, and publishing some things. Um, you know, I had the idea for this story probably five or six years ago and thought, you know, we, we always talk about um, the dangers of AI and what if this computer system becomes sentient? You think of Skynet and the Terminator or HAL 9000 in um, 2001 or uh, the Matrix, obviously, that's a, that's a popular one where, where the, the AI really functions as the Frankenstein character of the story. We create this system to, to help us or solve problems and it turns around and tries to kill us. And I thought, you know, we don't really have a lot of stories or exploring AI as, as benevolent or neutral or even positive. Um, we maybe have silly characters that, you know, robots or something uh, that are more like sidekicks, but nothing where we have anything that's that's interesting. I thought, what if we had a computer system that actually became convinced of the Christian faith, that God is real, Christianity is true. Uh, and that idea doesn't really go anywhere with the story. And originally I thought, well, you know, he's going to have this crisis of faith because he believes these things, but he's not human. He doesn't have a soul and doesn't have a body. And, you know, how? what is he going to do with this belief of his? And then about a year ago, I came up with this idea that, well, what if the AI sentient computer is became convinced of Christianity and they call in a former Christian and who has become an atheist to sort of argue him out of the faith. And that, once I kind of set up that, that antagonist protagonist uh, relationship, the story kind of wrote itself. So that's what it is. It's a dialogue between um, what seems to be a rational belief and the former theologian who has become an atheist um, in this in this dialogue, this conflict um, throughout the chapters. Hmm. I kept expecting as I was reading the book that the, uh, that Yar, the, the uh, AI computer, whatever you want to call it, was going to get a regenerate motherboard uh, once it came to faith. I'm joking. Wow. Uh, that was, that was <laughs> a little rough. Um, yeah. How are you going to, no. how are you going to baptize it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's it's problematic. <laughs> what do you do? Uh, so actually, even to back up from this, because when we talk about AI, I mean, most of us are not that sophisticated. And uh, and so we, we hear AI and we feel like we kind of know what it means. Like maybe it means robots or something or like something between robot and computer or something beyond robot. We don't know. But it's like uh, it, it's technology that talks to you and computes things and says, like, help us just even begin with a definition on what AI is before we can even get to talking about some intersections of that with uh, other fields. Yeah, I remember, you know, like I said, I'm not a computer scientist, but I did a bit of research just enough to kind of be able to, to when I'm writing characters in the story that are supposed to know way more than I do so that they don't sound completely stupid. But, uh, <laughs> you know, computers, yeah, right. Computers basically, um, you provide it with a problem or a question and it spits out an answer, you know, entry and uh, output. Uh, and then AI, artificial intelligence, really is doing things behind the scenes, drawing on massive data, uh, um, previous learning to, to a certain degree, um, to give at least the impression that it's thinking a little bit more creatively and critically about questions and issues. Uh, you can usually give it a prompt and it'll respond with something a little bit more thorough. Um, problems. I, I heard a podcast recently where basically, you know, old, old so-called AI thinking systems, you, you tell it to order certain objects, stack certain objects like, uh, you know, nine eggs, a book, um, computer and a pencil. And it'll say, first put down the eggs and then add the pencil and then the book and then the computer, right? It's not really thinking through it the problem and we know that that wouldn't really work in the real world but the more advanced ai systems will say well line up your uh first put the book down then line up your eggs uh in three by three so it can distribute the weight and then you put the computer on there and put the pen on a certain way it's thinking through it three-dimensionally it's mm -hmm. drawing on um apparent experience etc so it's a lot more detailed but in the end a computer in an ai system is really in the same 
um, ultimately really on the same spectrum. One is just doing something much more complicated. In the story that I do, it's the, really the question is, has that AI system, which gives the impression of thinking through things, actually become sentient? And that is, mm-hmm. it's, it's aware of its own thinking, it's aware of its own thought processes, and now can it feel emotion? Can it have regret? Can it feel shame? Some of these things we would associate more with, um, with real humanity rather than just uh, a pretend or an artificial um, uh, recreation of, of intelligence. Okay. What do you think the effect that, and I know that I'm not asking, I'm asking you to predict the future, I, I suppose a little bit, but what kind of <laughs> effect is that going to have on the human psyche? I remember reading the rise and triumph of the modern self, and maybe I'm just not a deep thinker, but uh, as I'm reading this book, I'm realizing for the first time that uh, the sciences and specific scientific developments uh, change the way that we view selfhood entirely, right? So uh, just the idea of liberating oneself from the natural world, like the the the, the fatalistic man or the you know the the old I forget which which man it was in the the rise and triumph of modern self. Which category was which? But he mentions like the, the primeval man, if you will. It's like everything is faded. You know, if it doesn't rain, he starves to death, right? But like the longer advancements go, we view ourselves differently. Well, if I irrigate this, then no matter what happens, I'll take care of myself. And and with more and more advancements, with uh, you know Gutenberg's press, electricity, work mm-hmm. through the night, uh, you know hygiene products, you know so that women are able to you know work in the workplace. All these different advancements cause us to view our selfhood differently. I'd be curious if if AI gets pretty compelling in its its similarity to human cognizance or human consciousness. Um, how how do you think that's going to affect our view of humanity and like uh, I don't know self awareness meaning? Yeah, that's a great question and very difficult to answer. I would say you know with the advent of for instance, evolutionary biology and the implications of that. Humans increasingly are uh, comparing and sometimes contrasting themselves with with animals, what makes us like animals. And that has real ethical and spiritual implications. Are we just animals or what differentiates us from from animals? Now you have this whole thing of, of computers and machines. Before, you know, a complex machine was a clock and people would marvel at how that would work. And now these computers that I've interacted with feels like they're thinking. I, you know, I get in my car, I plug my phone in and it says, oh, uh, it's this time of day, this day of the week, you must want to go to work. Here are the directions to work. It, first time it did that, that was kind of scary. Uh, and then it makes you wonder as, as they're creating, we see the artwork that these computers are creating. And it makes you wonder now, are we, are we basically just machines? You know, so it's, it's forcing us to think about what really is going on uh, between these ears as this just a very complicated computer that eventually we're going to be able to imitate. And then once it becomes sentient, is that just another form of disembodied, um, I don't want to say humanity, but what's the difference between a thinking computer and a human person? So I think, um, you know, in the book itself, it talks about how, you know, within a few years of the development of this sentient technology, humanity has basically surrendered all kinds of complex systems air traffic control entertainment um all kinds of things to this system so because it's does it so much easier and efficiently and perfectly well that kind of excuses us from critical thinking from taking command from from um, exercising volition in many ways uh and i think people would probably my guess is revolt against that. Yeah, I, I don't know if you remember two years ago, you, me, and Dr. Harrell were at ETS listening to William Lane Craig's uh, uh, the, histor- the Search for the Historical Adam. And, and I remember sharing with you guys, like my concern about the whole thing is, is, is looking at the, it's only the internal stuff that makes us human, right? Like, okay, there's a monkey, he breathes his breath into it, and then it's the, it's the brain stuff that makes you really human, like the cognitions and the, the self-awareness and like the intelligence and humor and these kinds of things. That's, that's what makes you really human. And I go, man, I just, it almost feels Gnostic to say that all the outside stuff doesn't matter. And we live in a world today where it's like, hey, your outside stuff doesn't matter. You can chop it off and change, you know, your outside stuff if you want. Um, and, and if, and if it's, if we're defining selfhood as only the internal processes, then it will be almost impossible to define the difference between 
a truly artificial intelligence and a human because we're defining that by the internal the internal stuff and not the external stuff in any way um yeah anyway. exactly and we're if you think about it too that you're seeing a lot more sci-fi where people are, are uh, uploading their consciousness into a computer system and mm -hmm. able to prolong their their so-called existence you know that is a it's very tempting to think of the, of about that as a possibility but it has reduced humans into merely their thoughts um it, you know there's a line in the book where where they're debating about whether um yar this computer system um has a soul and that the problem why people are f afraid of it is he, it has no soul and the creator his name is rami and he he responds to that and he says that's not true the problem with yar is he's all soul he's all mind he's all cognition in the kind of classic greek sense he's pure noose his problem is he doesn't have a body. He doesn't have a physical presence. He can't feel pain. He can't experience pleasure, at least not like we can. And that, he says, is what actually puts him, um, puts him at a disadvantage. So understanding what Imago Dei really is, that it is that we are created as embodied beings, that's in a very, it's going to be an increasingly important mm -hmm. theological perspective for Christians. Yeah. I'd like for us to expand upon that because you you mentioned the Imago Dei, so the image of God as one element of it being our bodies, that we're embodied. Uh, but is there also a soul-ish dimension? How would you break down? I know there are debates over image of God means this and that. We've done many shows on it, but I'd love to get uh, get your take on what it really means to be made in the image of God. And then maybe as you're describing that, maybe kind of make some distinguishers between us and any sort of potential futuristic AI. Yeah, so I would reserve the the quality of the Imago Dei image of God to humans. We are created... Um, uh, primarily with this mission, the Missio Dei and the Imago Dei, I think are, are the same, that we are to exercise dominion and God has therefore created us in a certain way to be able to accomplish that. So he's given us a rational capacity, emotional, volitional, creative capacity, but also the, the physical characteristics as we are created um, with the potential for then ultimately um, uh, embracing or becoming part of the immortal life and i think that's all related so i'm i would be more a, of a, a complex or, or eclectic approach to imago day that embraces many of the elements uh unfortunately in the late patristic medieval period the imago day was as you mentioned reduced to really uh, a rational capacity what makes mm -hmm. us superior rationally to everything else and i think that that was a bad move I think the incarnation, Christ is called the image of God, and the mm. incarnation demonstrates, and his resurrection demonstrates that, no, this physical body that we were originally created with is part, an essential part of being human. So when we are disembodied, yeah. which I do, do believe that we do have a, an immaterial part that continues, but that but that's not the permanent condition and that is not a favorable condition. It is something that's temporary that's re relieved by uh, resurrection. So the second part of your question, how does that relate then to AI systems like this is, well, we, there's no way an AI system like that could be uh, actually fully human. And really, even if you could upload your consciousness into a computer system, um, whatever that thing is, may think it's you but it's not uh, i think mm -hmm. that's the position i would have to take okay sorry i was like mid sneeze right as he finished his sentence so like there was an <laughs> awkward pause there i was like uh, i'm not gonna cut to the camera it, of me deep sneezing um i thought uh, it, or, or, the or, silence was because i i said something so profound you it was such a speechless. mic drop moment actually really. actually that's that that's what it was um let's uh, uh i'm curious I, I know we're talking about selfhood we're talking about consciousness maybe we could shift a little bit and talk about like kind of the philosophical approach to just religion in general do you think that ai is going to have a massive impact on the space of religion i guess here globally since ai is such a global impact already yeah so pragmatically i think questions of um simply can we uh, have AI write our sermons for us or do our Bible studies or um, actually preach a sermon. I think I saw somewhere they had 
you know, got in the chat GPT or one of these systems to try to construct a sermon or preach the gospel, you know, so there's that practical side of things. Um, but on the other hand, there's the, you know, the question of can a, can an AI system really advance? like in the, in the book itself, it, it, the system has evaluated all of the data that's out there and every possible explanation and through abductive reasoning has concluded that it's far more likely that God exists. And if God exists, Christianity is more likely to be true. Now, I don't know that an AI system would conclude that. There's no way to know. Uh, it'd be interesting if it did. I'd be surprised if it did. Most programmers have sort of put some constraints on this. If you ask Siri, for instance, um, you have to be careful about mentioning her name. She'll start talking to you. But if you ask Siri, you know, who is God, she tends to create some sort of funny little dodge, you know, away from theological issues. My su supposition is most um, systems, artificial intelligence interfaces that we are going to be have, having access to will not kind of show what's going on behind the curtain, even if that were the case. But the book itself is kind of an interesting exercise in, well, what if? you know, an AI system was given total free reign and could explore those things and did come to that conclusion. It's more of a, a thought exercise. Now, what do we do with this? Mm -hmm. So maybe even to just expand on that, we talked a little bit about this on the show because I, it almost makes me a little bit curious about how much of your inspiration for the book was, I like writing sci-fi stuff and, and uh, that's, that's just kind of an interest to me. And how much of it, because there were some apologetic elements sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, like he's talking with the, uh, with the apostate, the agnostic, well, I guess apostate, he ends up kind of coming back. Uh, I, sorry, I'm not going to say anything more about how <laughs> the book ends. Kind of uh, is, kind of is good. Yeah. Kind of is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but, uh, it, anyway, to kind of run with this though, it, it, I wondered how much of it was like the, just a science element and how much of it is you're addressing apologetics and, and questions that people have about the faith. And you touched on this sort of like reasonable, like, uh, like reasonable, like you, you said, it's likely yeah. that Christianity is true based on these facts once it runs through the, the AI system. So how much of your motivation for writing the book was a more apologetic uh, sense of, of proving the realisticness that, of the thesis that Christianity is true? just enough to tell the story so what i wanted to avoid uh was simply taking if you've ever read like um the dialogues of various philosophers or even um cur deus homo um a dialogue where you have the 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 teacher and his stupid student in fact even in cur deus homo the student's called bozo and they're and it's basically just a mechanism to put uh the the great, wonderful arguments on the, you know, the lips of the teacher and the dumb arguments and responses on the, on the interlocutor. I wanted to avoid that because it, this wasn't just arguments for Christianity or the truthfulness of scripture or the existence of God placed on the lips of these characters. I did just enough of that so that, and at, at a certain level, so that the reader would say, would kind of believe that that kind of conversation was going on between these characters. Um, mm -hmm. Although you are right, I actually do the, the apologetics in it. Uh, they are real. They are the real arguments that I think are, are important. But what you do find out without giving too much away is even then you do discover that Yar, the computer system, he is making his faith commitments uh, based on something more than just what is probable and reasonable you find out there there's the question of having one's thumb on the scale is kind of the image i use and you realize that there's a little bit of scale thumbing for the believer believing computer and a little bit of scale thumbing going on for the um the atheist so it's a just more telling that story. I think it's really more getting into what is reasonable doubt, what is reasonable faith, and where do facts in the end sort of fail us, and we have to appeal to something, mm -hmm. something other than that. Yeah, that, okay, that so actually been, makes. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. 
I was going to say we're 20 minutes in and we've done nothing but like talk about the warnings and fear of the Terminator when speaking of AI. I'm curious how you think uh, AI could be helpful to Christianity because Christianity has been kind of on the cutting edge of science and music and art and entertainment for most of its existence. Uh, when we think of Christianity, you know, adopting the Codex, the Renaissance period, like the science, those are thrusted along by people who believed in objective, good and true and beautiful. So this is essentially a neutral piece of, of technology. Um, I'm curious how you think that this could potentially be beneficial for Christians. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really difficult question because it's hard to tell right now where it's actually going to go. Is it just going to be a tool that creates art when you give it a, a prompt? Is it going to be able to write songs? Is it going to be writing books, etc.? cetera? Uh, how advanced is this going to get? And when is it going to maybe go too far? So as far as, um, but you're right. I mean, that most people hear of AI and they think, scary stuff probably because of of sci-fi and some of the other things that people are warning about um as far as promise i think uh, as a communication tool as a problem solving tool we i think people christians don't realize they're using it now what we have as is in their smart devices and anytime they do a google search or something there's a certain degree of ai being used there so um i'm working on a book right now that I am relying on information systems and searching search technology and software uh, that is de depending on AI, even in behind the scenes and couldn't do what I'm doing today. It would take me 10 times the amount of time to do it. So there's some develop, uh, sense of efficiency going on and just the normal things that Christians are going to be doing in studying, writing, communicating the gospel. So I think probably that's where it's the things usually kind of find this equilibrium in the balance, kind of like with online education, you know, everybody thought that's going to replace the classroom and then people are responding to it and saying, no, that'll never happen. In fact, online's bad. And what you end up doing is you find this right balance and right use. I think the same thing's going to happen with AI just as it does with any, any kind of technology. Okay. Well, the way Josh framed that, questions. You started by talking about the neutrality of AI. It could be used maybe for good, maybe for bad. But I know earlier, Michael, you were talking about uh, uh, about a tipping of the scales and that there can be a bias one way or another. And, and I want to talk about that as a potential danger. Uh, so to come back to the danger side of things, do you, do you think that it's a, a real danger that, uh, that somebody can ask AI a question and it's tipping the scales like away from issues of faith and away from Christianity. I, I'm thinking of, you know, I've seen on Twitter people posting about like, you know, they asked AI political questions or uh, questions about transgender issues or whatever it was. And it was quite clear that there was uh, programming that came from people of a certain bent. And so could you see the same kind of danger? Could you see to even take it to like a, an eschatological level, could you see heresy rising up in the last day's church because of AI? Could you see, or I'm going to go real eschatological, could you see a man of lawlessness rising up and using AI in and, and ways that lead the church astray because he's got his thumb on the scales? And Could you see those kinds bum, of things? Bum. I threw an antichrist, had, so it's an interesting question. You, you had to ask the DTS professor the eschatology question, didn't you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're already going to be gone when all that happens, right? <laughs> uh, right. Uh, um, <laughs> too soon, Michael. <laughs> too soon. I'm speechless. I got to sneeze. No. Um, no, I think, you know, there's a, there is a little uh, point in the book where it, as, as Michael Berg is the name of the, um, the, the character, the, the former Chris, Christian who became an atheist, who's kind of researching this. He, he, um, he notes that, you know, people in his circles, uh, as soon as this Yar kind of rises on the scene, people are thinking this is the sign of the end times. This is the, the image of the beast in revelation. And, and we do talk about that. So I've already heard that a little bit, um, in some circles, 
associating AI with uh, eschatological development. So uh, I, I generally place approximately this much stock in those kinds of things. Um, so I don't really see that. I don't take it too seriously. But uh, I also am a believer and do believe that there are end times things that are going to develop and whatever technology is available at the time is going to be used in very bad ways. But I do think, yeah, even if the, if AI is a tool um, to accomplish certain tasks very efficiently, it can be used. And I think people can um, program it with parameters to, to favor uh, one thing or another. And, and just queries in search engines, we know for a fact, it's all kinds of controversy around queries in search engines, um, suppressing certain results and, and promoting other results. And that can, that's so easy to do. So I would say, you know, in the in the story, um, it's kind of a an interesting little dialogue where he Yar says, you know, he he solved um, provided a bunch of solutions for the problem of homelessness is the the social ill I kind of picked, and they said three, you know, half of them made him a Marxist, the other half made him a fascist. In other <laughs> words, he's just purely thinking rationally, not really thinking about how people will take it and just says here these are some solutions and none of them are favorable because of their political implications i i explore briefly the whole issue of, um of sexuality and his opinion on that but even the way i wrote that i made it made it sound even for those who hold a classic christian uh, sexual ethic they're hearing it on the lips of this of this purely rational character and it sounds heartless you know on on purpose so yeah i think um if you are exposed if you allow a system to be purely objective and rational i think um most people would be offended with you with what comes out on the other end that's my suspicion it's it's interesting as we're talking about ai like as I understand it, and you might you might be able to correct me on this, and I know you said you're not like a, a computer science guy, um, but as I understand it, it really uh, right now AI is just a sophisticated search engine that's able to do some pretty spectacular calculations, right? Like basically, they're just searching the vast knowledge of the internet, trying to find all of the data and compiling uh, content that is legible and comprehensible to to its audience. Okay, here's a bunch of facts. I'm going to gather these facts together in a reasonable way that seems to be true uh, as far as my limited permit programming can determine whether that's just on mass content or again some kind of programming uh, from from the higher powers that be. It's really just an advanced search engine that's putting images together or putting text together. Is that is that right? Like it's it doesn't it's not really choosing or thinking on its own. It's it's just gathering things together. It's like the most advanced Google we've had, right? That's kind of the case. It, it's it's a little bit the way it's been explained to me is it's a it's a very very advanced um, um, like word prediction. You know when you're typing predict what do they call that predictive? Yeah, yeah. Whatever Auto, uh, text prediction. Auto, or whatever yeah, yeah, right. Or right, text prediction, and you look at you know sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong. Um, it's a it's kind of like a really advanced form of that. So it's not really sitting there thinking, how should I put this? You know, as we're kind of writing something, when I'm writing a scene or writing a story or dialogue, I thought, how should I put this together? And then I start writing it and I'm getting in the heads of the characters and I'm thinking um, ahead of what where I'm going. And I kind of know what when that next word is absurd. And a, an advanced AI system will not only be able to predict what kinds of options make sense in the next word, but also think in a sense, I guess, seem to think through um, saying something that actually makes sense. And those systems are getting so uh, complicated now and so advanced that some experts are posing questions to these systems and they're coming out with very surprising responses that look like they require uh, higher critical thinking skills, almost four-dimensional thinking. But so, do, do you think they so, can solve yeah. debates like Calvinism and Arminianism? Like the the robots, like, well, this is the answer, you know, or like ah mill, post mill, pre mill, whatever you guys at DTS are, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, <laughs> that's a, yeah. That's a good. I mean, it's a great question. It's got, it's kind of funny thinking that they 
they would be able to solve these things, you know, that we haven't been able to solve for 2000 years. But uh, I suspect probably not. Uh, the character Yar in the story does, or less claims to. But again, I, we have to make a distinction between, you know, our real world computer system that it just does what I tell it to do to advanced AI systems that we've been talking about that are out there and, and they're getting better and better to what, what I'm, pro, pro, what I project into the near future. And that is a, a sentient self-aware four dimensional thinking, almost feeling kind of system, which would be the next step, which some people think we're headed toward. I have some doubts about that, whether that's actually going to be achieved yeah. or not. But um, so there is, but we're kind of on the, we feel like we're on a pivotal point where if it doesn't go in that direction, then it's not possible, right? Don't you mm -hmm. feel like that? That this is the moment where if a computer is going to become self-aware, we're going to see it in our generation and we'll never see it at all. That's kind of how I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, is there is there like an ethical line that's just like, uh, okay, it, for instance, with cloning, I remember, I mean, I was like in college when somebody, I think over in China, clone, cloned a rabbit or a goat. I can't remember what it was. It's uh, one of those, uh, one of those creatures. Anyway, so I think it was a goat. Maybe it was a lamb. Do you guys remember? What was the it first was, thing? It was a lamb, I think, wasn't it? I remember a lamb being cloned, yeah. Yeah, sheep, okay. Well, maybe. anyway, and I remember people like, okay, but you can't clone humans. No cloning humans. And so there was like this line where everyone agreed, or at least 99% of people agreed, you don't clone humans. Is there is there a line that you think probably most people would agree? Okay, this far is too far when it comes to AI. Uh, you know, to to try to avoid the Judgment Day scenario of uh, the you know I'm referring to Terminator Two, the uh, the kind of apocalyptic scenarios of the world just disintegrating because we we push the line too far with technology. Do you see something like that? Yeah, I think. Um those discussions are being had in my research for the book. Uh, I stumbled upon, you know, experts, much smarter people, but also ethicists thinking through these issues and where do we draw the line and what kind of controls do you have? Um, you know, in, in the story, that question is kind of posed to Yar, you know, what does prevent him from completely wiping out the, the world? And he says, well, there's several things. One is I don't have direct access to such a capacity, meaning I'm not hardwired into the ability to launch nuclear missiles. You still have, and that's the case even today. Nobody, there's no button, you know, nobody can press a button and launch all these missiles. You still, depending on people uh, in the individual silos or in the, the aircraft or whatever to actually carry out the orders, which is the one of the checks there. So I think uh, we would, definitely not have a direct access between this this AI system and, and ability to do these things. Um, also in, in sci-fi as well as in, in many circles, the at least modifications of, if I say Asimov's laws of robotics, I don't know if that means anything to, to listeners or viewers. Yeah, here, you but can't hurt the nobody. Basic, can't hurt right, humans. The robot can't, can't harm humans or by action or inaction. Uh, and then there's yeah, I watched Dry Robot before Will yeah, Smith yeah, yeah. is slapping so, people. So, yeah, I totally I watched it then. Yeah, before <laughs> you know, a couple generations that that those rules have kind of been become sort of almost dogma in sci-fi. It's become uh, you see it even in in Star Trek adopts them as you know this is the the rules that we've adopted. And even in my book, I I have them doing that. But then you know, Yar says you know. Uh, he has his third point, third third reason why he'll never go Skynet is the term that we use in the story. Uh, the third reason is, well, God won't like that very much. God created humans after his image and he wants, he, he values life. And for me to uh, harm humans would be very, very displeasing to God, um, which obviously shows that this computer system, not only has he adopted belief, in God and Christianity, but has adopted uh, the the virtues and the ethics, and then he turns it around on Michael Berg, the former believer who's an atheist, and he says, uh, "I actually think it would be more reasonable for me to be afraid of you than for you to be afraid of me. What's keeping you from harming your fellow human beings? You know, having 
removed all accountability to um, something like a divine being. So I think it's, um, yeah, I think definitely those are the conversations that are going to be had in the next several years. What kinds of constraints and checks do we place on this um, AI, more and more complex and intelligent system to prevent those things from happening? I'm curious, like what kind of, again, moral and ethical kinds of you know, like when we have new pieces of technology, Christians often need to have like an apologetic of how to engage on that kind of thing. I, I'm, this isn't necessarily technology, but it's certainly an advancement in science when it comes to uh, the kind of gender reassignment stuff. Like when that stuff starts breaking edge, like, you know, Christians need to have some kind of apologetic on how to engage with, okay, this new piece of technology, this new piece of scientific, whatever that we're working with is now affecting our world around us. We need to have an answer and be able to engage with this. Does AI pose any of those kinds of ethical and moral questions? Like, I mean, I know just off the top of my head, you know, uh, there are kinds of face swapping softwares. There are um, audio dictation softwares. I actually use some of those already um, that I that I can use. You know, you can make someone's voice sound like someone else's voice. You can have people Translation. write your... Yeah, you can translate stuff. You can, you can have people write your own... Uh, 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 essays for you for school, like you could cheat. Like, what are the kind of moral things uh, that that Christians need to know are coming down the pike soon? When it comes to do we, is there something that we need to know that we need to be engaging with when it comes to AI? Yes, you identify several of those things. Uh, uh, translation, um, I think it's going to make us extremely dependent. I mean, already just think about how dependent we are. I can't go to to drive to work without putting the map in and, and having it tell me where to go. Uh, I don't know what I did 20 years ago. You know, it, now um, writing something, researching something, we're going to be so dependent on uh, these systems that in a certain sense, it's going to, um, in the realm of virtue and vice, it's going to lead us to a sense of, or, or a position of laziness, failure to do diligence, um, it's going to be make, making critical thinking, which is already, I'm, I hate to offend anybody, but it, I'm sorry, it's at an all-time low, uh, especially uh, among, among Christians. They're willing to kind of believe whatever they already believe, not question sources or test them. I think it's going to make it even harder. Um, you can't t- trust video and audio evidence anymore. What can you trust? So I think this whole this whole thing, this path that we're heading down is going to bring up all kinds of uh, ethical and virtue questions of what is not just right and wrong, but what is what is good, what is better, what is best, what is more beautiful. Uh, I think it's more beautiful to have uh, a pastor preaching a sermon at me who knows me and loves me than a very well-crafted, precise um, uh persuasively written AI generated sermon, uh, mm-hmm. despite the imperfections. I think that that's the question that we're going to be having. What is, what is authentically human? Hmm. That is interesting. It kind of makes me think like, uh, you know, my wife, if I buy her diamonds, will be excited. But if I get her cubic, cubic zirconium with all of its perfections, uh, it she's not going to be ex- as excited. So I just wonder, it, I don't know. I just kind of thought about that analogy, but uh, Dr. Spiegel, I want to come back to, um, I, I'm thinking about something that I, I can't remember if one of you said this or both of you, but you were talking about the translation and, uh, and I've actually been with, I've been, I've shared the gospel with people using Google translate before, you know, uh, mm-hmm. out on the streets with somebody speaking a language I didn't use. We kind of gone back and forth like that. And, and I know that as AI develops, like even that sort of intermediary step of like, okay, write it in Google or speak it into the phone, like that it's going to be, uh, it's very feasible that people will just speak to each other in their own language and the other person will understand it in their own language. And then suddenly I, I can't help but think of Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, that languages was how God spread the world apart because if they were all together, you, you know, there's no stopping them. Particularly, there's no stopping them in their evil defiance of the supremacy of God. And so, uh, and even in the Tower of Babel, the fact that they used bricks, uh, my understanding, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that bricks were uh, a 
recent development, like that that there was technology, so to speak, for the time of of creating the actual tower. And it, it all that to say that I it's like I see this this kind of full circle where the the earth is becoming one and technology drawing people together and breaking down the old barriers. Uh, I I've just do you see any of these parallels and what does that mean for us as Christians? Yeah, this is great. And this is actually one of the, the promises of the AI technology that I'm actually excited about. And that is the the translation, especially of written and, and verbal communication. Um, but I, I have thought about some of its limits and possible dangers. Uh, again, it's, it's the translation is only as good as the translator and um, language, even people who, who speak the same language. Uh, or raised in the same family, speak the same language, have problems communicating because communication is more than just words. And I'm not sure that a a, a strict traditional AI system is going to going to be able to actually um, bridge some of those things. Uh, I think it'll get really close, but there's a problem sometimes, and that is, is it would it really be a good thing that we fully understand each other? Um, maybe maybe the the look on that person's face when i say something a little bit absurd forces me to rethink what i'm saying and and that becomes this negotiation and keeps the peace frankly uh i'm not sure computer systems are going to be able to catch that nuance or catch let me use one more mm-hmm. illustration when, when I, before i knew german my my wife is from germany i'm obviously american and when I would communicate with my in-laws through my wife, she would, um, yes, translate what I would say, but I could tell she was paraphrasing it so as to avoid unnecessary conflict between me and my, my in-laws. And I think um, a, a computer system can't, can't de- discern when that may need to be done. And so, uh, yeah, it's a in a sense, transcending of the Tower of Babel and the separations and things that are there. Um, But I'm not sure that's an entirely good thing. I think it's better to learn each other's languages and to communicate in a way that forces us to rethink even what we're saying. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah, I think so. What what if I, what I gave an opposite pushback almost, like I'm going to make a case Mm -hmm. for AI. Okay, God makes us sentient people in his image now we're not god we're not of his same ontology but he makes beings that are that are sentient they're aware and they're different than him they have a different ontology Uh, what if the argument is said that we as humans are making another sentient being that is not of our ontology because we're made in god's image and god makes different beings that are sentient like right like do you see you see the the infinite regression that i'm going with here if god makes us in his image what's wrong with us making something in our image even though it's not quite of our same ontology like would there be anything inherently wrong with it would be the question no i would say nothing inherently wrong in fact it's what what's to be expected and i think there's um uh we we do this anyway we are um well, I don't know how to explain this. You know, as a writer of fiction, there's a, and other fiction writers who have gone through this, they, they understand what I'm saying when, as I'm, I'm kind of telling a story and breathing life into characters, the characters begin to almost take on a life of their own. They do things, they say things, they think things that even... I, as the writer who apparently has complete control of it, become I, I'm surprised about it, and it's it's kind of like I, I feel you're tapping into the um, the part of the creative consciousness or the unconsciousness that that writes dreams for us. You know that we don't know what's around the corner, and we should because isn't this being generated by us? And something scares us in our dream. Well, how does that work? So so I'm saying that that is reflecting. I think uh, as uh, imagers of God, it is reflecting in a very limited sense, an imperfect sense, um, that creative capacity that God has created in creating intelligent beings. So I think it's absolutely normal and natural for us to breathe life into into beings, into things. 
And sometimes that's by projection, anthropomorphism, etc. But sometimes it's in writing, creative writing. And I think AI is just another iteration of we want to create things in our image just as God has created us in, in his image. So I don't think there's un anything unnatural. But as you know, post-Genesis 3, everything that we touch, even yeah. when it's in it's generally consistent with the image of God, we twist it. And that's that's, that's the danger. That's good. Okay. Like that. So this is kind of ridiculous, but I just I just tried it. Okay. So I just now wrote into chat GPT. Oh, I did it too. Did you not see it in the Google Doc, Michael? I live jumped it in the Google Doc. A bunch of live oh. chat GPT questions Dude. for Dr. Well, Spiegel. Oh, that's funny. Oh boy. <laughs> Great minds. Great minds. Okay, so I wrote, what questions do you have, chat GPT, about the intersection of AI and religion? And so here are their questions. Um, ethical. How should AI be used in religious contexts, and what are the ethical implications of integrating AI into religious practices and rituals? Theological. How do different religious traditions view AI and its potential impact on concepts like creation, the soul, and free will? Um, it, it goes on, like tools for religious education, worship and prayer, mm -hmm. uh, a, a lot. How might AI challenge or complement religious leadership and authority? Uh you know, I didn't really have time to kind of read through all of these. I just thought it was funny. Uh, Josh, what was your question? What did you ask AI? Oh, I asked. Or, I asked someone similar questions. I Chat said, GPT. I said, hey, ChatGPT, like, what's a, what, what questions would you ask a, a, a theologian coming onto a podcast about artificial <laughs> intelligence? And it was cranking out similar questions. And frankly, it was funny because a lot of the questions we asked today were already listed in the questions that were coming up from AI. So I suppose there's just a, a lot of. A lot of questions on the subject because it's a new piece of technology um, and I remember I guess I would caution just people in general of just not not assuming that things won't develop more than they are right now I remember sitting across from my uncle who is a lifetime videographer photographer he actually helped me uh, with lighting and video camera and all that stuff when we built remnant radio we built our first camera together I, I built a camera out of cardboard and tinfoil and, and duct tape <laughs> Uh, he, he worked for Mike Huckabee, helped him build his first video studio and Fox News and CNN. He's, he's in this whole space. And I just remember sitting across the table from him when I was 12. We're eating Thanksgiving dinner and he's just like, there's no way ever that there's ever going to be a digital camera that will ever rival a film camera. Uh, and then like three years later, you know, he's, he's completely digital. Um, and uh, anyway, I just I think that we are so limited in our scope of seeing the future that we just we just don't know how these things are going to develop and i think that christians probably need to engage with some of these questions now on apologetics and philosophy and thinking through some of these things now before things develop to the point where we don't know how to even like we haven't spent any time thinking about the issue and now it's gotten out of hand like i think we need to be doing some of our apologetic philosophical work on the on the front end i'd be curious dr spiegel if, if that was kind of a closing thought for me how would you say you would want christians walking away thinking about uh, AI and and also pick up your book. You know, pick up Dr. Siegel's book on this. I think it'll help you maybe even prime the pump on questions you should be asking. But what kind of questions would you uh, you know weigh with our audience, or maybe statements that you'd have our audience weigh through and think about as they're walking away from an interview like this? Yeah, my question is always going to be what do I what do I wisely and prudently surrender to this tool and and say hand it off and delegate you you take care of this now um, and what things. Do we, you know, white knuckled kind of hold on to and not and refuse to give up? Um, I'm not going to let AI pray for me, and, you know, or I, that that is pray instead of me. I'm not going to let it preach my sermons instead of me. Um, you know, there are certain things that I must do, and this is again why I'm so thankful that you know I've kind of embraced an incarnational sacramental approach mm -hmm. to the the Christian life. Is it automatically that theology kind of puts restraints on? Um, you know, the, the possibilities for this. And I guess what I want to leave with one question that's that has bothered me since I wrote the book. And that is, um, you know, we as Christians have a worldview that includes more than just the physical realm, the spiritual realm, both benevolent and malevolent spirits. And I do, frankly, I'm, I'm going to sound like a lunatic to an unbeliever here, but I'm a little concerned about the potential for um, 
demonic activity and can, let me just put it out there can a can a demon possess a computer can a demon possess and manipulate uh, artificial intelligence and these kinds of things is a question that two Christians need to be thinking through uh, from their worldview perspective. I know, like I said, it probably sounds absurd to someone who doesn't believe in such things. But for us, where our worldview includes all of these dimensions, the technological and the physical and the spiritual, I think it's a real question that we also have to entertain. Yeah. Okay. So, Dr. Spiegel, I agree with you. And that question has so piqued my interest that I want to know your opinion. <laughs> Do you think that a demon could inhabit and affect artificial intelligence? Do you think that's like a legit possibility? And and what would it even do? Uh, I don't know. That's a great question um, to ponder. I haven't really thought about it enough. I, I do know that demons can and do kind of inhabit idols and different things and you know voyeuristically receiving worship by being present in the idol um and can do all kinds of things i believe so i i'm concerned about that i don't know that's a good mm -hmm. question i mean um see you know back in the 80s when computers first came out and I, you know i was at, in school or whatever 70s 80s if my um apple 2e started talking to me and persuading me of bad things I would think I lost my mind and wouldn't, you know, think anything of it. I, I, I'd see that as a clear sign of something supernatural. But when a computer, when we expect that from a computer, that's where, uh, if I were Satan, oh man, I'd be all over this. That's mm -hmm. what concerns me, right? I'm not going to be confused by a, an intelligent speaking computer. Uh, I'm just setting myself up for deeper deception. So mm -hmm. it's a, I think theoretically it's possible yeah. from our Christian yeah. worldview perspective. Yeah. Well, I think that as, as we think about these things, one of the, probably the, the scariest part of it to me is what you were talking about with just the amount of deception that's possible. And like, mm -hmm. is that when you can no longer trust video evidence, it's like, dang, I mean, there, that could be used in just terrible ways. You know, you just take somebody's image and make it look like it's really mm -hmm. them and it looks like them talking and it sounds like them talking and you're watching this video and you think somebody said these things i mean uh, that's that could produce tremendous harm uh so anyway at, at the same time i i do think the development of technology just kind of blanket the the development of technology that's that's part of what it is to be made in the image of god part of the expression of it in the cultural mandate of genesis 128 that we're called to subdue the earth to take the raw materials of this earth and to shape it into uh into in ways that that make things better like so there's like a goodness to it and so i think mm -hmm. that just like constantly developing technology it's like okay the technology is good how do we keep it from going too far uh it's like this question has been asked so many times through the centuries but it's been fun to ponder it with you dr spiegel so yeah, i think thank that's you so much yeah, absolutely. So you guys check out that book. Uh, it, it's a really enjoyable read. Uh, even if you're not a fiction reader, I think it's, what was it? A hundred pages or something like that, Dr. Spiegel? Yeah, you can read it within a couple hours, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty short. So even for a nonfiction reader, uh, I, I think you'd really enjoy it. So you guys uh, check that out. Uh, guys, thanks so much for joining us for this conversation and, uh, really, uh, really enjoyed it and make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. If you haven't already, uh, click on the description too. If, uh, if you've been blessed by our content, maybe consider making a donation either in PayPal, a one-time donation or a recurring donation, uh, through Patreon and you can become, uh, one of our, would you call it a patron, Josh? Uh, and, uh, you receive... Yes. <laughs> thank you some exclusive content and uh and definitely check out that e-course we just dropped that on saturday opened up uh the possibility to register for it already had a, a good number of initial registrations right off the bat so that's going to start uh here in a few weeks the the word and 
and Spirit School of Ministry. It'll start in a few weeks. It'll last for 13 weeks, 117 instructional videos, uh, as well as weekly live Q&As, small groups, all that kind of good stuff. We really want to help you guys grow in word and spirit. So uh, guys, we'll see you on Wednesday for our Gifts of the Spirit episode. Michael Miller joining us for that, as he always does. And so uh, stay tuned for that on Wednesday. We'll see you then. God bless you and have a great week. I want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.